What's happening, people? It's the Solar Kid, and this is the Other Side of the Sun podcast. And I got my man, Nicky James, Nicholas Orlando James, in the building. Yo, name, bro. Hey, yo. All good, all good over it, all good over it. How you doing? Good, brother. Yeah, man. I am blessed. It's good to uh, see you again, even though it's not in person. It's been a while still. It's been a very, very, very long time. Yeah, bro. You went. It's almost a year now, you know. It must be like a year. Almost. I mean, what we were—we've been in, in this madness for over half a year now, and and before that, I, I really kind of dropped off the grid anyway for quite a while. So when I got back from from the rest, so yeah, because you went um, you went America in December. No, but you guys came. You came with um, what's his name, A class, and. Uh, Franklin, oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that, that yeah, we had a session. Yeah, that was a good one. Mm. That was a real good one. That was a sick session, bro. So for those who don't know, Nikki James is a jazz pianist extraordinaire. <laughs> Man, like uh, improvising. And also um, social activist, yeah? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you are a social activist, bro. Very involved in um, indigenous... Uh, people's rights, especially in terms of making America, not just indigenous people in general. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, man, so you want to give us a little bit of background on uh, who you is? Who I am. Yeah. Who I was, who I is, who I'm hoping to be. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I grew up in, um, up in Manchester. Money! Yeah, yeah. Moved, circulated a lot of places. Grew up in, grew up most of my growing up was in Moss Side and Levenshulme and uh, parts of Burnage. Well, is that is that Cheshire? Is that um, is that all Cheshire? Um, I mean, well, yeah, it's all it's all it's all Manchester. What's so what's that like? Yeah, Cheshire, Cheshire County, I guess. Mm, Cheshire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, just just grew up there with my. With a lot of my family over in that way, my my dad, he's originally he's from Brighton. And all his family live used to live there in Brighton, but they've gone all over the place now. Got some family in Wales, um, got some family in New Zealand. Um, yeah, but I don't really really see I don't really really see them too much. But to be honest, it's rare for me to even go back to Manchester. But yeah, grew up in Manchester, born and raised in Manchester until I was about sixteen. I moved to Brighton for a little bit, studied there. Are you studying Brighton? Uh, yeah, I, st- well, I studied college in Brighton. Yeah, I went to, I went to college in Brighton for two years. And then I uh, went to university here in London. I love North Brighton. London. That's my cool. Where are yeah. Westminster? Hmm? Did you go to Westminster? No, oh, I went to a place called London Studio Centre, which was Dance Conservatoire, that's what they call it. Dance mm-hmm. University. So what did you do a degree in work? Oh yeah, because you're a dancer, of course. I forget, like you don't. Yeah, forget. So well, you got a degree in contemporary dance. In that, what they, the the BA was called theater dance. So um, I trained in all across all styles, pretty much effectively. But I specialized in contemporary for my for my third year, and a lot of most of my training was made up of either hip hop or hip hop house and um, contemporary. Yeah. Damn, son. You hide that yeah. well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it was? It was, you know, I'm, I'm very, 
I've got like some serious commitment issues, but when I'm committed to something, you know, I'm very much committed to it. You know, it took me a, it took me a very long time to kind of figure out what it is I wanted to. What not not so much what it is I wanted to do because there's a lot of things that I want to do, but something that I was really passionate about, and um, dance just wasn't wasn't one wasn't one of those things. And it took me learning how to play and learning to do music to realize that actually I wasn't passionate about dance. Wow. Right, because I thought that I was that dance was my thing and it was a you know it was the thing I would I loved and primarily actually I guess it was just one of the things I was I was I was pretty good at. But really actually ultimately it wasn't the thing that made me want to pursue it. Made me want to pursue something. Um, and and create and, and, and have happiness in it. Because you know the dance industry is it's a tough industry to be in if you're yeah, if you're not no, it's the old theater business. It's the old theater, West End vibes, bro. It's deeper. Yeah. deeper. It's, it's a lot of trauma, man. Yeah, lots of fucking, oh my God, sleeping around with the directors and getting your way to the top and this and that. Yeah. And backstabbing. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's literally like the movies, man. But that's that's interesting, bro. You know, dance is my favorite art form. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a muser, I'm an engineer now, but dance is my favorite art form. Oh, yeah? yeah I love bro like because I feel it's it's such a creative like the, the movement and you know what I mean just like all the different styles and yeah I love that I love watching it like all from ballet to contemporary my mom actually did um, like ballet and contemporary and my auntie as well like you know contemporary. I love I love dances and art form yeah it's really it's really something incredible I've just joined as as um Joined the committee at the university that I one of the universities that I work at. I joined as a governor for uh, equity, equity, equity or equality and diversity and inclusion. And um, you know, when I was writing up this statement for them to be brought on board, you know, one of the things I was one of the things they asked me was, oh, "What do you think? What do you think you bring to to the to the board to the committee?" You know, and what does your 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 previous experience, you know, come to bear or come to fruition in, in that context? And you know, I was saying, well, you know, I believe that that dance is one of those few things, like music, that transcends, that can transcend cultural barrier or social norms, right? You know, like if music is good, music is good. You know, if dance is is inspiring and beautiful, dance is inspiring and beautiful. You know, I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends, you know. Who come from the grime industry or just grew up in the same kind of ends that I grew up in. You know, contemporary is like a weird world. You know, it's it's something they you know they're not usually exposed to, and that's got a lot to do with the caveats around viewing an audience and audience members in the contemporary world. It's a very it's a very typical demographic, right? It's a very certain demographic, and that really doesn't ex- ever really extend to low income backgrounds. Yeah, and. Um, you know, sometimes I'll be bringing people through to to watch some stuff, and they're like, "Yo, this is this is this this is what contemporary." I mean, you know, it's hit and miss. Like some things, are just like, "Yo, I don't get this." Like, no, I don't like it. Very like experimental pieces and stuff like that. Yeah, it can be. But then at the same time, like like you say, like it, like for low income communities, like the arts in general is not really something. It's something that you can do if you've got like a financial backing or like you know what I mean. Like it's not like do or die because generally if you come from a low income household it's like you know and your parents are big on uni they're gonna be like yo you better become a doctor a lawyer 
something that's going to pay the bills. Like you don't really have the, the freedom to just go and express yourself. And I mean, like I remember working with kids in studio where their parents are paying for them. Like they have a flat in Hyde Park while they're studying music and then they come to studio uh-huh. working with me kind of thing. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> Yo, that's, that's nice. <laughs> like, yes, bro, that's nice, man. I mean, obviously, and like that, that's 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 sick that you're on these committees because you know getting the balance right and helping people to kind of come. Because I mean, generally, you find in those communities the talent is just like immense. We see we see that in so many different kinds of genres. You know, look at jazz. Jazz is just like it's the it is it, really the the case I'm playing you know it's, it's, it's really kind of like what highlights sh- struggle can can ascend into you know, it's, yeah. you know a lot of these jazz musicians came from not all of them but a lot of them came from broken homes or dysfunctional families or you know low income backgrounds low income households you know it's growing up rough and, and a lot of that you know a lot of that experience that perspective really transcended and, and and informed a lot of the music that we listened to. You know? yeah, Same for blues, blues again. I remember Anything. jazz, like, bro, in South Africa, like, so even South African jazz, like, it's huge, man. You know what I mean? Through the townships and whatever, and whatever ends, like, that's what you hear. Like, the jazz is big. Like, we used to have a festival every year. We still have it, actually, like, Joy of Jazz every year. And then, I mean, now there's more like bigger stuff like the North Sea Jazz Festival and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. it's big. It's big. It's big, big part of our communities and, and growing up as well. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to say quickly about the um that you were talking about like dance and music and how it like transcends. Do you think that is because of like um, going back to our roots as like cave people dancing around a fire and banging a drum. So it didn't matter like before they were like color and you know, I mean, whatever we are classified as that's why it can transcend. Like, like you say, it's good or, you know, if it's good, it's good. You feel it, whether it's black or white or whatever color in between. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, I think really the mercurial nature of, of music is just like sound vibrations just in general. Are uh, something that inherently we all hear, unless you unless you're impaired in some kind of way, you can't. But you know, music doesn't have the same kind of social. Even though it is subject to social constructs, it, in the, the foundations that it's grassroots, it doesn't. It's not a. It's not a construct, right? You know, like race is a construct and ethnicity, or what if you want to even consider the two the same. But you know. Language is a construct, right? There's so many differences in a language based on the people who created them, right? Whereas music, I feel like, ultimately what, what you're utilising is something that resonates within everyone. And I mean, I guess this is where you start getting into, like, the certain, like, divisions or divisiveness of music groups. You know, you start bringing in that whole tribal tribalism element to it where it's like, oh, you know, I, I listen to rock and all I listen to is rock no, I love this band and I don't like any other band over there so, or whatever but really actually when it comes down to it music is just something that exist, existed in all cultures existed in no matter what land you went to you know, it, was, yeah. it was all there no I mean I, and, I completely agree bro I was speaking to a friend of mine yesterday and he went to a funeral recently in South Africa and he was saying like he's a musician as well um, 
but you were saying it was just because it was like it was a tribal kind of you know African tribe. I don't know if she if the girl was um, Sutu or Zulu, but um, he was saying like the drums that they were playing at the funeral. He was like entranced by these drums, and like you can tell that these rhythms transcend time and space. Like you know what I'm saying? Like there's something about that. And then also we also spoke about you were talking about his other friend who goes. He's like a bit of a weirdo. He's also he goes and he plays with these. Um, witch doctors and stuff in the in the townships and shit and like talking okay. about how the drums can call how they use the drums to call the spirits and that kind of stuff bro so yeah like you say it's intrinsic you know what I'm saying it's like you feel it man doesn't yeah, matter yeah. who you are you feel that shit there, there's something there's something deeper spiritual. and I'm sure in the same in the Native, Native American um, tradition as well oh, yeah. but a lot of drums a lot of drums and flutes and the calls as well like the sounds and the calls that they use in, in spiritual ceremonies and stuff like that yeah, 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 for sure. So I think it's you know it's really you know there's there's a few things that I really accredit to to uh, humans and music is one of them. The other is cooking. Like I think cooking and music <laughs> two genius, most genius inventions. You know, you know, like how can you make how can you make some food that's so good yeah. that you can have millions and millions and billions of people like that food. You come from like the other end of the of, of the planet. I think that's mind blowing to me. Like, I love food so much. I think it is like one of the most exceptional things humans have ever done is is, is develop culinary. I never thought about that like that. You know, that's so true. And if you think about it, like everyone uses more or less the same ingredients, but everyone's dishes are different, no matter where you go in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, veg might be slightly different, but more or less the same for every, and obviously depending on climates and stuff, but more or less the same things everywhere. But then different dishes. <laughs> it's, 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 it's nuts. I'm, yeah, so yeah, cooking and music, I'm just like, hats off. Hats off to the human, human race because it's crazy. It's really crazy what we can do when we put our minds into something holistic. You know, there's something that serves you know, that really disturbs a community. Like, yeah. We cooked because we had to. And it was, and at the beginning, it was probably, probably just tasted whack as hell. Can you imagine, and bro? So, it's been like, yeah, slap it on the fire. Slap <laughs> <laughs> it fire, do you think? So there must have been like processes of, of experimenting and stuff that took like time, bro. Think and about the, the, the tradition, tradition behind that. Like imagine, Going out there and foraging for herbs that you didn't, even, you weren't even quite aware whether they were that's, dangerous or not. That's deep. That's deep. Because like when I'm like I'm when I'm out with my kids and there's maybe like blackberries and then there's some other tree with some other berries and then like how do you know the difference? They're like, well, I know because someone told me. But those other motherfuckers probably had to eat that shit. <laughs> <laughs> they had to, they had to process of elimination. And that's <laughs> literally like. You pick the wrong one, you were getting eliminated. <laughs> <laughs> Either that, or you're gonna be like your stomach's gonna be fucked for the next <laughs> couple of weeks. Bro. You know what I'm saying? So I think, yeah, yeah, music and, and cooking is just like one of those inherent, beautiful things that humans create. So, ah, that's sick, man. but yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to speak to you a bit about um, so indigenous peoples. I mean, I know that's a big part of uh, you know what you do. So like. Um, I think you are aware, but like um, my ancestry is also part of like the indigenous peoples of South Africa, the Bushmen, yeah. and, uh, the Khoi and the Sand people. 
And basically, it's the same story wherever you go in the world. The Aboriginals, the Native Americans in South America. These people have just been marginalized and like forgotten about, even though they were there like long before everyone else. And these people all live in like in tune with nature and the spirit and the earth. And like when you go deep and you actually study these people, you're like, yo, you know. Yeah, maybe maybe if we had stayed like this, it would have been a bit like things would have been a bit calmer. You know what I mean? Like you know, <laughs> the balance in nature, we wouldn't be talking about fucking climate change and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, what's your, what's your, I mean, like, involvement? And tell me a bit about, like, your, your role in terms of, obviously, your background and that. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I do I do quite a few sporadic things anyway, but mostly uh, my, my focus is facilitating and producing Native American arts and culture in, in the UK. I, I'm, I'm a manager, I'm a UK manager for a company called Indigenous Enterprise, which is a traditional powwow. Um, dance company um, and then also I do some consultancy stuff with my my auntie who works for the United Nations she works for uh, a company a committee called Income Indios which is one of the very few indigenous committees on the UN that specializes in the First Nations of, of America um, and then yeah you know I, I you know we I just try to raise awareness just in particular about you know issues current issues in in Turtle Island, as we call it. That's what we call our land. Um, Turtle Island? And just over. Yeah, Turtle Island. How do you mean? Yeah. What's, what's that? Never heard that. Well, the, the, the story is, so it really depends on where you where you come from, but a lot of the, uh, some of the Plains tribes and then some, uh, some of the, the tribes that go up north a bit, just the border, at the border of Canada. We, the, I think what it stems from originally is that the country, the continent of, of, of North America um, looks like a turtle, right? And in a lot of the creation stories, there is this idea that the, the that America turtle island was a turtle that moved, and on the back were the people who who, who you know, tilled the land and were the first to set foot. There's a, there's a lot of different creation stories, and many of them are. I was speaking to my big bro Ronnie the other day, and he was telling me about the Algonquins, which is the originators of our people, of our tribes. Um, which is mostly like Canada and just south of the border, kind of saying that back in the day, when they would talk about the creation story, how it created, we go, we would go away together as a group or a community, maybe by the Great Lakes or something like that, or you know, uh, a whole a spiritual holy place, an ancestral place, and we would spend three days there together talking in a language about how the creation of Man came to be in particular, the, the the Native American or indigenous or the man of the red skin. You know, they would talk about the creation and how that would happen, and that would all take place over three days because it was so long. The story was so long, and the language was was so detailed. And it, yeah, they would sit there and stay together for three days talking about how creation began, how the lands began, how the people. Came to Turtle Island, but yeah, mostly it's you know it's a lot to do with the fact that the land looked like turtle, mm. and this 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 idea of a turtle was always such a grand um, deity, I guess. So how did the 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 um the tribes like vary? Because I mean, like obviously, I don't know like a lot, a lot about. I mean, I don't know too much, but you get like Cherokee, you get like I mean, are those all different tribes, and are they like 
very different from each other or like yeah it really depends on where you where you're going like there's a lot of differences between the west coast and the east coast tribes um, there's so many tribes it's like 560 plus because oh, I've only had like Navajo and like uh, what is that the same Navajo yeah Navajo um, or Dine as they, as they call themselves um, Ojibwe Cree Chippewa Cree Masipi Masipi Wampanoag Pequot Blackfoot yeah uh, yeah Cherokee as you said um, Apache, there's 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 hundreds, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and then you know we also forget about our cousins really, at the in the French, the French Canadian area, where they they often get left left out of the discussion a lot out of talks, but they have a lot of problems over that way. They got a lot of tribes and they have a lot of treated land. What about South cultures. America as well, like Middle America and South America? Yes, America. South America, yeah. I mean, they've got equally just about uh, as as many, um, perhaps even more. I think it's really there's a, obviously there's been a massive divide since the colonizers came and settlers came over mm. between Central America, South America, and, and North America. But really, um, it's really funny actually because a lot of the a lot of the peyote ceremonies and a lot of the traditions that came into the south of North America where the Navajo people, the Diné people are like the Spokane people and Shoshone. They lend, there's a lot of traditions that were lent from Central America, you know, from from, from Mexico. Yeah. Well, like Aztecs um, or is that before that? Um, even after and before, more, mostly after because for a long time there was a lot of um, there was a lot of discourse between the Navajo and the Me- Mexican. Actually, that's what Navajo means. Uh, Navajo means marauder. So Navajo was the name given to the Diné people by uh, by Mexicans or the tribes nearby the border of, in Mexico. And so there was a lot of discourse and kind of a lot of hostility between them, between the two. But, um, you know, when everything really started kicking off with the settlers, there was a lot of passing of culture and stuff like that as a means, as a way to retain what had you know uh, what had came beforehand and that that transcended all the way and, and progressed and developed all the way up through North America into Canada and stuff but actually really purity purity ceremonies in Native American church was something that really came about um, through the through the kind of the allyship between Central American tribes and South of North America have you um have you been in one of those ceremonies? Have you done the, the PFA? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I went to the res last, um, yeah, I did yeah, two. Yeah, reservation, two yeah. Yeah, yeah, reservation, yeah. I went and visited some friends, family there. And yeah, I did two POE ceremonies and it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's one hell of a thing. It's one hell of a thing. So peyote is a it's a cactus plant, like uh, or something. Yeah, and then yeah. you, you a little cactus. Grind it up into like into the powder, and then also what remains of the cactus then goes into the tea. And basically, during the peyote ceremony, while the ceremony is proceeding, um, there are points where you you take this powder, where you have the powder, and um, and you you drink the tea. It's crazy because, like, 
it's you know it's medicine. So we call it medicine in in America, particularly in the southern states. Is it illegal? It's legal for Native Americans to use pure. It's illegal for anybody who isn't a follower of Native American church or is a Native American to use pure. Because it's still like a class A job or, or whatever it is. Um, and so, yeah, you know, there's it's, it's medicine and it's supposed to, and you're not supposed to abuse it just like any kind of medicine because, you know, like if you abuse anything, yeah. too much of one thing is, is bad, right? So, but, um, but yeah, it's a mild hallucinogenic, supposedly. Um, I question it. I have this conversation actually quite a lot because I believe there is this element of genetic uh, predisposition when it comes to drugs. You know, I feel like if you're a person who isn't from an area where they have, you know, certain uh, chemicals or certain medicine or, or drugs, if you want to call it, um, and it's not a part of traditionally in your heritage, then you're going to have some side effects. You're going to have a different, I feel like you're going to have a different experience because the one thing I noticed when I took POE, a lot of people, a lot of my, particularly a lot of my white friends were like, yo, you have POE, it's going to be crazy, man. You're going to be seeing spirit animals. And I'm like, all right, okay, I got it. <laughs> I was just chilling. Everybody in the whole garden was just chilling. There was there was a bunch of us, maybe like eight. We were all just like, yeah, this, this this what it be. But I feel like if you're, especially someone, if you're susceptible to having hallucinations or if your mind is geared a certain way, then you're going to see those things. But also, I think it's got to do with genetics. You know, like with a lot of the the, the Asian uh, demographic, you know, they have adverse reactions to alcohol. Yeah, yeah. My, wife, my wife goes red, bro. When she, even if she just has a sip of wine, her whole face goes red. Bro. Yeah, no, I'm saying something. And you know, same for lactose intolerance. You know, yeah, like, lactose. a lot of us. It's the same thing. I feel like it's just like if you're not genetically predisposed to something, you're gonna have a, a either an extreme reaction or something counter opposite to what maybe people who are used to. And I think also maybe like the setting as well, because I mean, like with you, you were in. The right place, the right setting. You weren't in a nightclub. You weren't in like you know. I mean, doing some next thing ever. So all those kind of energies that are around you will obviously affect it because I know, like, I'm sure it can. I mean, I've had times where I've taken. I mean, I've done mushrooms and stuff. Like, I'm probably not the same, but like you know, it depends with who you're with and stuff. So I mean, otherwise mm-hmm. it can be like yeah. And like I said, if you're doing it in a in a spiritual manner and like under the right guidance, then you know, it makes more sense, you know what I mean? Like, to me, anyway. Because I think yeah, like, yeah. so many people abuse those things, like ayahuasca, San Pedro, mm-hmm. it's, it's just like a fad kind of thing, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, 100%, I believe it, bro. I see that a lot. You know, and I, there's something to be said about these, about rituals and about ceremonies, you know? There's like a routineness to it that centers you, mm. you know? It brings you into, it keeps you in the space. Yeah. You know, in that peyote ceremony, there was a lot of praying going on. We all prayed for the person that we're praying for who's there with us. And we do that. That's over 13 hours. So we start at 8.30. And then <clears throat> at 9 o'clock, well, I'd say maybe 10 in the morning when the sun comes up, that's when the ceremony starts drawing to an end. But from then, from start to finish, we're praying. You know, there's the, there's the, the singing um procession you know where where people will sing different songs from their families or from their tribes or straight peyote songs and you know with and the drumming there's this drumming from the water drum which is a sacred drum you know that's always going you hear that it's, it's yeah yeah and i feel like you know these things really do kind of like 
center you and they keep you in the space. I feel like if you're left to your own devices when you're taking when you're when you're doing your your ayahuasca or any kind of psychedelic or, or hallucinogenic. Yeah, yeah, you know, you, you you're gonna you're gonna become you're gonna become susceptible to your own mind, which is the worst place to be sometimes. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? But is that is that like um the ceremony? Is it like a, a rite of passage as well? Because um, I know that I know I mean, that they have one for the for the women. I know that girls in their teenagers go through that. With, uh, it depends what tribe you're from, you know. I think uh, with the purity ceremony, it really depends on your family. It depends on your 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 clan. It depends on your tribe. You know, the Lakotans they have their uh, they have their uh, spirit festivals, and that's what they call And they did a lot of that up, up by Yellowstone. The, the the reserve over there, um, you know, they go up, they go up into into Yellowstone, and you got this beautiful landscape, which is mm. incredible. And they have they have a rite of passage. They have a you know going into manhood, yeah. you see, um, where they do a lot of piercing of their bodies and the whole the whole ceremony. And it's incredible. Uh, but yeah, I really think it just depends on what tribe you come from. It's really hard for me to say because I come from a tribe that is. Has lost a lot. We were the first to meet the settlers when they came, and so we were the first to be colonized and oppressed and assimilated. And so, you know, the tribe is very small. What tribe? And we lost a lot of tradition. Massapee Wampanoag. Massapee. So what? So I mean, like are you are you um you mixed mixed race though? Like so, like, what is your um, yeah your dad making uh, No, my dad is British. He's white. Okay. White, white. Uh, my 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 grandfather, Native American, and Caribbean, and then my my grandmother's Cuban. Um, yeah. So there's there's a whole history behind, you know, because there was a lot of when the British when the British settlers came over, there was a lot of tribes that sided with them. Yeah. Because um, obviously it was being attacked from all different sides. You know, the French, the Dutch, the Portuguese, the Spanish. You know. Um, and then also you had the Irish and the Scottish settlers that were brought over with England who were displeased with the empire anyway. And so, you know, there was a lot of warring going on and the Iroquoian Federation, which was what, um, the Pequot Nation, which was what the, the, the Federation and the alliance that our tribe was in, were at war with the Cherokee. And so the Cherokee enslaved a lot of, they enslaved a lot of people. They enslaved a lot of African-Americans. They enslaved a lot of... Uh, other tribes as well and it wasn't until the British kind of started showing them their ways of slavery that you started to have this trading going on before that it was a it was a different it was more like a fulfillment of roles sometimes some tribes depending on what tribe you're from if you were taking a slave from war you would be expected to fill the position of somebody that had passed away during war so you would take on their roles as like maybe like a, a partner or, or, or a soldier or, or whatever um and so the British slavery brought in a new whole new element of this trading. You know, the, the Cherokee Nation could use it as leverage and value and as an economic system. And so a, a lot of a lot of Native Americans ended up in halfway across the world or in a lot in the West Indies and in South America and whatever, you know, working on plantations and stuff. Native so, Americans. Jeez, I didn't even know this, man. That's deep. That is deep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's the thing so, is like people don't really know like you, you need to do your research man and like check out different you know because people just see things as the way is like you know this whole new with the whole um, Black Lives Matter movement that popped off recently it's like something's like yo this is not new you know like 
some of these things, like most things, like anything that you, that's why they say it's good to get to know history because you, it helps you to kind of understand that like, yo, these issues or these struggles or these things that you're going through, even personal things or like psychological things, like, yo, man, that shit's been going on for time, you know, like forever, basically. And for me, like, that's why I love history because like, it just kind of, it just reinforces the fact like that it's okay. You know what I mean? It's okay to question. It's okay to be different. It's okay because there were probably countless many people before you who fucking did the same shit. You've done the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. There was two things I wanted to speak to you about, but like um, the one thing I was going to, I'll start with this one. Um, Cultural appropriation. Or misappropriation. <laughs> uh, misappropriation. Yeah, I know that's a big uh, peeve of yours, man. So, yeah. and recently there was this, um, uh, I think it was appeal or whatever. What, what was it? Like, we, um, you guys were fighting against the Exeter Chiefs. Yeah, the, the, uh, yeah. The logos and stuff. And I mean, that's, that's something that, I mean, like, You've got the Washington Redskins. You've got, you know, the, what the, is it? The Braves as well, like, you know, in American yeah, football. So it's quite... Cleveland Indians. The Cleveland Indians, yeah, the baseball team, you know. So, like, this, it's pretty much everywhere. I just wanted to know your opinion on that because, like, a lot of people can just be like, oh, well, I mean, come on, it's just a name. It's not, like, whatever. So what is the, uh, like, you know, the reasoning behind that? Like, so I think, really, the movement... It has been gone on for a long time, you know. I think there's always been some dissatisfaction across the world when it comes to cultural appropriation and, and mascot usage and, you know, all that kind of stupidness, blackface, redface, all of it, you know. Um, but it really, really started to kick off recently because um, Stephanie Freiberg, who is, um, she's a clinical psychologist, but anyway, she had done a lot of research into um, the, the harming effects of cultural appropriation, but in particular mascots and branding um, for sports teams. And you know, there was overwhelming data from across the across the nations where they where they do a lot of data analysis and research that a lot of these mascot and imagery and branding was causing a lot of our young people to commit suicide. Really. Um, yeah, and, and just and drug abuse, there was a lot of, you know, ties and links into just feeling devalued because, you know, that's that's effectively what it is. What you're doing is you're, you're, you're creating a caricature of somebody that's untrue. And, you know, it's just like, you know, you know, I do my toxic masculinity support group on a Wednesday. I was going to, you know, one of, yeah. yeah, so, you know, the reoccurring theme is that actually creating an expectation, creating an image and a design for somebody that they can't fulfill can be incredibly harming mentally, right? And if you have to deal with that from from day one till till whenever, you know, eventually it's going to have a toll on you, you know. And some people just aren't in a space where the aftercare is good enough or the, the mental health awareness isn't good enough for them to receive the resources and the support they need in order to get through that, right? And so a lot of people slip through the cracks. You know, they, they you know, a lot of, you know, there's a high amount of suicide amongst young Native American men. Um, you know, I would say the same for women, except for predominantly their their problem is, is that there's a lot of rape and missing and murdered murdered Native American women and just indigenous women in general. Um, but yeah, so you know, there's a lot of racism 
inherent racism in schools and it has been for a very, very long time. These kind of things all stem from these unattainable, very unrealistic, romanticized, exoticized stereotypes surrounding indigenous people, Native Americans in particular. And it's just it's homogenizing, it's very disrespectful. Yeah. And I think after a while, it just takes, you know, it has a real effect. People don't take you seriously when they when they think you're just some kind of mystic icon, you know. They don't understand that you go through this, you get dehumanized. Yeah, because I remember, I think, because um, I mean, like, Native American imagery is something that a lot of people, you know, people will dress up as, you know, I mean, with their headdresses or they'll get tattoos and, like, I mean, you know, shit like that. So do you feel that that is, you know, like disrespectful as well or like if it's done in a certain way it might be more respectful or is it just you don't do that kind of shit you know i think it just really is about permission really you know like i always say that you know if you were if you were somebody that was especially in the west if you were someone that was making a phone right and you used the apple icon but you weren't part of apple and you weren't a representative or a manufacturer of, of, of apple you're looking at a copyright lawsuit, right? You're looking at, you've willfully or potentially ignorantly taken somebody else's imagery and branding and you've used it without permission, without consent. Now that's that's an issue, like, you know, with copyright being as it is in this country yeah. and in the West. The same thing, I think, applies for cultural icons. If you're not asking for permission, I know it's difficult to do, but actually the research can be done, right, if you're really invested in something can do the research if you're not asking for consent and you're not asking for permission they're just taking something that doesn't belong to you okay so if there's if they've done it more like in a in a more thought no no that that makes more sense to me now actually and i suppose if it was done in a more thoughtful manner because i suppose something like the exeter chiefs you know the people who probably started that club had no fucking any sort of thought about they were just like Oh yeah, Chiefs, Red Indians, whatever. Yeah, let's just that sounds like a cool name. Let's do it. But when you put it that way, like yeah, it makes a hell of a lot of sense, especially when their ancestors were the ones who fucking, you know, the ones who brought the turkeys and shit. <laughs> like gave, <laughs> gave them that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. exactly. And I think that that applies across all cultures as well. You know, like if you, you know, how once upon a time, yeah, people could dress up in a in a fake dashiki. Yeah, running around with with spear with like a wooden stick, like it was a spear. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But you can't do them things no more. Like, we know that's some racist shit. Yeah. I was gonna ask you about that as well. But do you feel it? Do you feel it? It goes the same with like music. So like, you think there's there's such a thing as like like um, misappropriation? Because I mean that's a big thing, like within hip hop or in rap and stuff like that. So like Eminem, would he be like? <laughs> But then he grew up in Detroit as well, you know, so with black people and shit. So I don't know, like, you know, what's what, what, what do you feel about permission, it? Permission and content, uh, consent, you, you know what I'm saying? If, if you're growing up in, a, in an environment where you're surrounded by people whose music you're imitating or using and they're in your circle, then effectively you've been given permission by that person. You know what I'm saying? Like Eminem works with Dre. That's Dre's culture. That's Dre's, you know, Identity. tradition. That's... That's his, yeah, that's his to give freely. If he wants to give, it's a gift. And I think that's what the difference is, you know, like historically speaking, you talk about headdresses. If, if somebody outside of a tribe had a headdress from someone else, it was a gift. Same for dream catchers. Like somebody gave that to you. That's that's their culture to, to give to you as a gift. 
I feel like in music it's the same thing. If you're, you know, look at Afro beats for for a hot minute or like Kaduru or something like that, you know, it's like, yeah, if you're growing, if you're, if you're, if you've got a master, let's say, let's say if you've got a master Saba player, if you've got a griot who taught you the ways and gifted you the, uh, the, the teachings and the, you know, the technique, right? And that person says to you, go forth and use my music and use what I've taught you. There's your permission. You know, there's somebody who's gifted you something that for you to use. Mm. But if you're just willingly taking things and not, and not even, I mean, the worst of all the crimes is not even, you know, learning about the, yeah, acknowledging learning about the history or whatever. I think, I suppose that's, that's a key point, you know, because like, that is the key point is like, if you pay attention to the culture and tradition and it becomes a part of your being and your psyche, because like for me, I'm influenced by so many different cultures and, and religions and histories and stuff. And I actually go and I like to look it up or I learn about it, the music and the culture and the heritage. So when I make music, like a lot of different influences come up at certain times if I feel certain things. So like, I suppose that is the key is like, if you're going to do something, make sure you understand, like, like you said, like, do people even know what the griot is? Do they understand what the culture of West Africa was and who the griots were? And like, you know what I'm saying? That the tradition of being, a part of the Griot family, how they move the music across West Africa, and do you know what I'm saying? Like that makes makes perfect sense to me, man. You know, yeah. yeah. And then you do that in your music and that kind of thing as well. I mean, I'm not even a Saba player. I'm not. A, I'm not a percussion player, really, in any way. But you know, I know about. I know about Griots. I know about the history that that came with it. About you know, drum calls and mm. and you know having a having a having your, your drum having a name that you can play. Like I know this stuff because out of respect for the people that I was in a circle with, in the context with, I wanted to know about them. I wanted to know about their history. I want to know about what 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 makes them who they are. When you start ignoring those kind of things there, I think then you're getting into a space of, you know, this weird abstract word of disrespect. But for me, that's that's disrespect, you know, because it's just, it's just laziness, you know. And, and, I, and, this, and this, this day and age where you've got, where you can just click, 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 and yeah. type, 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 there's no reason. Yeah, you can literally just go down a YouTube uh, wormhole if you want to, and like you can be up on shit. Like next day, you know what I'm going. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so my bro, my bro, prophecy always says he's like, "Yo, it's it's 2020. Y'all can't be a racist no more. That's a choice. Yeah. Like ignorance doesn't exist. Like if you see something, or you're saying something, or you're feeling something, you need to be doing your research, yo. Yeah, you can. Hey man, yeah, you can literally. I mean, like, yeah, you know, just one click of a button, and then you can find it. Everyone has internet pretty much everywhere, unless you, unless you're like living in a bush or something. You know what I mean? I spoke to Siri the other day. I was like, "Yo, Siri, a head is is head wearing a headdress cultural appropriation." Siri pulls up like all these research articles and everything. Like your phone will tell you shit. Like literally, your phone will tell you shit. You have a little person in your hand. That's like, yo, I've got the ancestry. So there's no, there's no excuse for, for ignorance anymore. Na- naivety, maybe, but ignorance, that's a choice. Nah, true, man. So um, another thing I was going to get into you was your, your group that you started, man, which I feel is, is something that's so important, like especially for young males and people in general, really, and that's uh, the toxic, mac- toxic masculinity. Um, 
which for me I completely understand. I grew up in the 90s and 80s and shit like so you know what I'm saying men never used to really you know my father grandfather they never used to show the you know what they thinking feeling you know just beat you if they feel like it you know homophobia this and that you know chatting shit about women whatever not everyone you know I mean like my father was was he's very respectful person and all that stuff but just generally around you know I mean you find it with a man them and shit like that so what made you uh, start the group and how's it been going like um um yeah it's a, it's a I think it's a, it's a long you know it's a very long story but I mean ultimately what made me create the group was I was in a, a complicated situation with somebody uh, a female friend of mine who you know I developed really strong feelings for and she ultimately after after a lot of complicated scenarios where I had a girlfriend and then she had a boyfriend and the timing just not being right and then the timing became super right all of a sudden during lockdown and the intensity of the emotions of the situation you know um, due credit to this person they had made it clear to me when we got involved with each other that they weren't looking for a relationship and I could just never quite I could just I could just never quite come to terms with it like just you know, there was a part of me who was just like, why does this person not want me? Like, <laughs> why can't I, you know, like, why can't, why can't, why can't I, why can't I have this person? And that was, that was the problem. That was the problem. Because it got to a point where it was just, everything was just emotional. Like, not that there's anything wrong with things being emotional, but it was, it wasn't a helpful kind of emotion. It was just destructive. And, and I feel like a lot of it was coming from me being confused with the situation, but also me effectively not getting what I want. And I had to really had to deep myself and be like, yo, why is it that this person doesn't want me? Why is it this person doesn't want me? I don't understand. Why does this person want me? Why can't I have this person? You know, this element of like possessive. Possession, Possession is there. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I was like, this isn't okay. This person should be able to say to me, I don't want to be with you and I should be okay with that. Like, why is that? Why Why have I taken that upon myself to be so offended and so harmed by it, even though this person has shown me love and support? Um, and ultimately, yeah, I was like, I need, to, I need to get out of this space where I feel like I have ownership of someone. You can't own someone. Like, a person is not an object. You can't objectify people. Um, and so I said to myself, right, I'm going to go celebrate no intimacy with myself, no intimacy with anybody else. So I've been that way now for, what, nine weeks? And I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this so that I can kind of get better control over my habitual nature of sexualizing and objectifying women in particular, um, I need some help. I need support. And so I was like, okay, maybe I need to create a support group to help me through that and also journal my experiences so that I can share them with this group and talk about this thing that is appearing to me as a form of toxic masculinity. And what other people think of that? Like, what is it that toxic masculinity means to other people? Like, you know, what is their perspective on it? What's their understanding of it? Can we come into a space where we can remedy these things that potentially we don't like or we feel like are harmful to situations or people? And so, yeah, I created a group to kind of like... So what kind yeah, of support... Um, what kind of stuff have you been talking about? And like, I'm sure it's been I'm sure it's been massively helpful because any type of like you know it's therapy in in, in essence you know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of things we talk about. I mean, mostly 
you know, there's there is this as as somebody who's quite, uh, you know, very much into the school of rationality of rational thinking and, and absurdism, also in the same space where you know, this idea that the human the human knows nothing, and so you, you can't you, you really can't ascertain true fact or true knowledge of anything because everything is perpetually changing, mm. um, and so you know, coming into a space where there's a lot of talk of emotions and, and potentially some spirituality, some spiritual, a lot of spiritual aspects, you know, often there is conversations about social, political elements and philosophy, but also in the same space, there's a lot of room there for emotional um, sharing, emotional intelligence. Um, and so it's a mixture of two, you know, we talk about a lot of things, we talk about why it is we actually think that men have this level of toxicity that is assigned to men that is gendered in such a way, you know. Um, and then also we share a lot of experiences from our past. First time we experience what we've now perceived as toxic masculinity, abuse, um, you know, things we've done to other people, um, how we've inherited it or how we're, um, you know, uh, perpetuating it or how we're perpetuating it. And so it's a lot of, we talk about a lot of things, but it's always really, Really is it is it an open group like uh, you, you send me the link and I'll put on the description and I can kind of see you know. yeah 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 100% yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome bro and I mean like yeah I like it I like it a lot I mean something a lot of people have I mean I know personally as well you know I remember when I first came to England there were so many things about my upbringing that I had to kind of work through and I still am working through you know in terms of Objectifying women, and I mean, I've taken a bit of not taken a bit of. I've always been on a kind of spiritual path, and like like you say, you I don't know. Sometimes you want to suppress it, like you say, you went celibate or you you're not you know doing that. But then like times when I've tried doing that, it like when it comes back, it comes back even harder, and then you have to go through another process of trying to like <laughs> find your yes. your zen again and stuff, <laughs> and then go through. So it's 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 ongoing and like. Yeah, the conversation is sick, man. So, um, are you like what? What are you spiritual? Do you believe in anything? Like, do you follow any particular construct or belief system? Or? I don't know. It's difficult, you know, because obviously, like, with my background being the way that it is, my my heritage, um, you know, I do have a very strong sense of spirituality and culture that surrounds that. But ultimately, obviously, as well, um, as a person who spends a lot of time in that headspace. You know, there's a <laughs> there's a lot of deconstructing going on all at the same time. You know, sometimes I catch myself, you know, thinking about the creator and what the creator has done, and I'm also like, who the fuck is the creator? <laughs> like, like, who, who is this? Who is this thing? Who is this entity? You know, like, and also, you know, like I said, I'm an absurdist, right? So, you know, I'm also struggling and contending with also the, the the constant idea that everything I know. I don't know. Yeah, no, I get that. You know, I get that. So let it go, bro. Let it go, man. Yeah. Just let it go. Yeah, <laughs> I, well, I just, I just don't assign myself to anything. Now I'm just like, you know, like put my hands up and just like whatever comes, comes. Whatever happens, happens. I will try my best to understand it and and find out more about it. But ultimately, I'm I'm comfortable with the idea that nothing is right, nothing is wrong. Yeah. And you know we just live in the experiences that we're living in the moment, and we try to learn more and try to act in a way that we deem fit 
as of the moment. No, and that's that's the only thing you can do. I learned more about exactly what you're saying, and I have been through my um, journey into the East. So there's a guru that I follow called Sadguru, and he literally says the same things about, you know, but then obviously through yoga and practice, and like you said, even like we spoke before, there's certain methods or techniques that can be done in order to find answers to those questions because you have, everything is there, you know, everything is there. You just need to find a way to do it. And the people who have come before is in ancient cultures, they've, they found ways to kind of unlock that, you know what I mean? Like people talk about different things, awakening your Kundalini and whatever. To me, it doesn't really matter how you navigate that path. As long as you find the, the, you know, go on a path and find something for you. Don't, I mean, I'm not saying don't because you can do whatever the fuck you want with your life. But if you are interested, like you say, just go and like it will lead you down your path yeah, yeah. and you will, you will find something though and you will feel better about who you are and, and find some type of understanding even though no one's ever come back from the dead to tell us what really happens, you know what I mean, once you've gone. So. <laughs> but I still feel it. You feel it, bro. You feel it. And when you do things like Kiyote or Ayahuasca or whatever and stuff, it's like it's very apparent that these things are there. Even if you don't, like you can sit in meditation or even just meditate and you can reach those samadhi states and, you know, I mean, states of consciousness yeah. out even taking, um, you know, plant medicines and stuff like that. I think everybody has their own their own different meditative practices. You know, I even say that scholars and philosophers are great at that, you know, call it a state of reflection, you know, where you're perpetually thinking about something yeah. or trying to um, understand, gain a, a greater perspective or something. And I feel like I had this conversation with someone recently talking about applying value to something, extrinsic value or something. We were in this, like, we were just talking about some um, existentialism and, and the idea of, of hard um, realism and soft realism and material things. And we were saying, you know, like, talking about value. And I said, I, feel, I have a problem with assigning value to things because the perspective of value is so vastly different based on the individual. Mm. And so some people are going to have higher value on, on, on things and lower value on other things. And this is why we have such discrimination, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a society that's heavily capitalist. There is greater value on somebody being an individual. And that hierarchy of, of, of value and, and individualism is, is a problem because, you know, you start valuing people and you're like, well, this person has more value because they're white. Yeah, or this person has more money. The doctor, or he's got more money, or he's got a nice car. Yeah, so I'm exactly. not going to road because he's not driving a BM. You know, I'm thinking, no, man. No. I said, so I said, my way of looking at it, my way of doing things is saying, you know what? Value, extrinsic and intrinsic value aside, okay, maybe for me, intrinsic value has more, it has more substance. But the one thing I know for certain is that everything has purpose and the purpose is just to exist. That's yeah, it. That's it. Right. And we see that, you know, now that we understand thermodynamics and quantum theory, um, we know that atoms, atoms don't have any extrinsic value. They just are, you know, and they just operate in the way that they operate in order to, you know, for, in order for us to conceive of the universe and construct the universe. And, and that's what we are. That's, yeah, that's yeah, it. That's, that's all we are. That's what yeah. people say. What's the meaning of life? Live, bro. <laughs> that's the meaning. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking live, man. Enjoy your life. Don't be like 
you know, and I'm, and it's, it, you have to go through things, you know, and I used to do that a lot, like as, as a youth, like, or like in my teens and early twenties, like I used to, I, used, I even used to write poetry. So like I used to have a poem called, um, one day depression syndrome, because like every second week I would go through this existential crisis and it's like, Oh my God, what's the purpose of this? Why am I here? Blah, blah, blah. I you know, and it's like now I think the older you get or the more you read and the more you learn, it's just like, Live, smile, <laughs> I never used to smile a lot, you know, just because of the I, like, and I never used to realize that because I was fine inside. But people always used to be like, not put off by me or whatever. But I never used to smile much because it was just like so in my fucking head all the time, you know. And that's yeah, why I like yeah. I like speaking to you because I mean, you know, remind me a lot of like, oh, especially like before as well. It's just like how I used to be in terms of like thinking and overthinking and understanding. You got a house phone. Yeah, somebody shot him. <laughs> somebody really. That's weird. Really but uh, but yeah. So you know, just, just yeah, just get on with it. And and for me, my 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 objective in my lifetime is just to understand more. That's it. Just to just to gain more knowledge. That's all you do as a human. You just absorb more knowledge, more understanding, and then you can and you just hope to do as much as that as possible to keep you happy until. Your time is your time is done. Yep, and you never know when that's gonna be. So, like, be happy now because it could be just in like an hour or tomorrow you could be gone, bro. Yeah. yeah. But yo, just before we 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 close up and stuff, and I wanna I wanna talk to you about quickly about your your music, bro, because you have such an interesting story. Just just tell you know the viewers and people how you came to play piano because that was deep. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> you went hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're I guess fucking always... thick jazz improvisationalist, bro. And to become a jazz improvisationist is not easy. You know, people spend their lives trying to master jazz. Some people, but if you if you have it, you have it. You know, I've been privileged enough to work with you, play with you, record you, and stuff. So I know, like, uh, don't uh, tell us, man. Great question. Um, yeah, just you know, I've I've always obviously I've always loved music. Um, and I come from a musical background, but I was never interested in playing an instrument ever. You know, my, my mother, she's a singer, was a bass player. My, my father is a guitarist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's a bass player. You know, my dad is a pretty successful guitarist. I wonder you always play bass when I'm playing bass. I tell you to stay off my bass. <laughs> <laughs> come on now. <laughs> I'm like, yo, this section of the piano, you don't go there. That's me, okay? That's you. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally telling my friend that. I was like, yo, I've got a friend who basically hates it when I play piano. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't. I don't hate it, man. I like it when you're playing. But yeah, if I'm playing, like, yo, leave the bass to me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so basically while I was, yeah, while I was dancing, I think, it, you know, really, I think really what kind of, it really exposed me to, to my love of, of of live instrumentation was being at the dance. It's been a dance conservatory. You know, a lot of our classes were accompanied by live musicians, and I was like, "Yo, this is lit as fuck!" Like, I'm dancing in a space with a live musician. Like, this is a thing. Like, this is such a privilege. And the more I kind of deep to the more I start, I was like, "You know, let me just let me just pick up some piano and start start playing it." And that was it. Once you start, that was, but that was the rabbit hole. And the rabbit hole was this small. <laughs> it was like, it was like this long. <laughs> it was like, Once what? you go in, it's like, 
Yo. Yeah, it was like some TARDIS. But um, but basically, I, I committed to it, and I was like, okay, I'm like, I want to learn more. You know, I want to learn to play like my favorite musicians. You know, I want to learn to play like McCoy Tan. I want to learn to play like Oscar Peterson. I want to learn to play like Joe Hisashi. You know, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Final Fantasy as well. So the, know, the musical scores, yeah, that's serious. Oh, man, that's that's serious. serious. It's not like so, yo, this this have a YouTube tutorial kind of music. That's like yeah, yo, no, you no, no. practice. That's levels. That's yeah, levels yeah. So <laughs> practice like eight <laughs> years and like yeah. So that's what I did for two years straight when I was. Uh, so this is what what six years ago almost now. Two years, no, five and a half. So, uh, two years straight, I just I had books. I had my theory books. I had um, I had my piano was in the studio space, and I just did. I just banged out seven hours a day, pretty much. Every single day for two years. There you go, kid. Seven hours a day, motherfuckers. Not some YouTube <laughs> half an hour. Hey, you can learn to play piano in five hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I, was, I was playing until late at night, sometimes early in the morning. And then when I'd get off a of, uh, uni, I would just stay back and I would play for like three, four hours on end. And I would just... I was smashing. I was hitting those books. I was studying all the all of the greats, the people that that inspired me. Watching how they played, literally watching their hands move and listening to, to everything. I'm a Jamal, Austin Peters, and McCoy, Tyner, Bill Evans. You know, uh, even then, likes of John John Coltrane, Art Tatum, all of them. I just studied the shit out of them. And then, yeah, one day apparently I got good. That was the end of the story. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Because like in, in, in jazz terms or like in musical terms, you're still young, bro. It's still like seven, eight years in. I mean, I know some sick cats. Um, did you ever meet Husky? Sick oh. pianist, bro. He's oh, like 18 years deep, bro. And he is, I'll send you his link, bro. He is, actually, I need to get him on the podcast. He is a fucking gay, bro. He's yeah. to come studio sometimes as well, like uh, with Mass and that, like, bro, this guy. And he's a rapper as well, but like on keys, this guy is oh, I didn't I didn't I didn't really get to meet a lot of other pianists in the in the studio in your studio space actually now that I think about it. Yeah. It'd just be it would just be me and you or me and you and someone else or Yeah, true man. But soon, you never know. The abstract sun may rise again. Oh, for 100 percent, man. The Phoenix, the Phoenix, yeah. rising, rising from the ashes. Well, I wouldn't even say the ashes. I think we just took some took some downtime, innit? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Well, bro, man, thank you so much for coming on today. Is there anything like you want to end with, or anything you want to say, or leave us with? Um, no, I, no, I guess I mean. So it's always good to. I'll, I'll probably send you a load of information that you need anyway for people that really want to be want to find out more about indigenous support and resources and just what's going on in the world. You know, Illuminatives is a good one. Red House series is a good one. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's quite a few more actually, but the Exeter Chiefs thing is is worth taking a look at because they just actually released some new kits and they've still, and they've still kept the branding. Mm, I saw um, that. I read the article the other day as well. I was like, yeah, that's deep. So any support would be great, but but yeah, yeah. So but I'll send you some stuff. You need some stuff. So 
Yeah, similar link. Put it all in the description. I'm not sure when this episode, yeah, well, when this episode comes out. But yeah, thanks again, bro. Nicholas, Orlando, James, my G, my brother. Always a pleasure, bro. Always, always, always a pleasure. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you. Bro, I will definitely, hopefully we can get you on again, maybe at some point. We'll see how it goes in like time and see what's happening with, with um, you know, after this lockdown business and that stuff. But, um, yeah. yeah, thank you, bro. People, this has been the other side of the Sun podcast with me, the Solar Kid, and that's Nikki James. We out. Peace. <laughs>